Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Elkanen, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Uh, bank earnings follow through from yesterday. Uh, a big upgrade uh, to NEO. I, I'm, I, I'm a little surprised at the way moving, but I guess I shouldn't be. So uh, we're going to talk about that, follow through from the Apple event, follow through from stocks like Zoom. Uh, we have two guests on the radar for today. Our first guest will be at 8.35. That's David Trainer. He's from New, uh, New Constructs. He looks deep into earnings reports, looks at the footnotes, looks at what they're hiding, and he's going to give us a preview based on what he's seen of uh, stocks he likes and stocks he doesn't like. Uh, this coming earnings season. I'll also be joined at nine o'clock by Paul Rosen. He is the CEO of 1933 Industries, another cannabis conference, a company who will be at our conference tomorrow. Uh, hit that like button if you uh, want to talk about more tickers. We'll do ticker time at 8.50 or 8.45 after David Trainer. We'll get to as many of those as we can. And uh, Joel, what's going on overnight here? Uh, Spencer, we got a nice overnight range here. We got up near the intraday high from yesterday and then uh, kind of fell out of bed between 5 and 6.15. I don't know if it was uh, EU tariffs or what hit us, but you can see that bar that took us down. Couldn't quite get to the level of levels on the downside. We can talk about that later with Triple D. Uh, crew, just hanging out here, down 17 cents at 40.03. Can't really hold 40 or can't stay under 40. A little consolidation. Uh, gold up one day, down another, up today, nine bucks at 19.03.60. Uh, silver's doing okay. That's up a uh, little over uh, two cents here at 24. Point three three five and bitcoins just hanging out here in the uh, eleven thousand dollar handle down ten bucks at eleven thousand three four hundred and thirty. Uh, triple D, some kind of a two-way market here, up and down, now practically unchanged. What are you seeing in there in the after hours and pre-market? Chop, a lot of chop. Technology definitely rotation still in the tech-specific tech. Specific tech um, some tech is actually trading down, but there's a lot of tech uh, trading up. We do have a big UBS note as well, and they're bullish. Some tech stocks, bearish some others. We had Ron Barron on CNBC this morning, who was tooting Tesla's horns. We got a big upgrade we talked about from JP Morgan with NEO. So lots to talk about. I'd like to start with the Goldman Sachs earnings because, wow, this company blows it away again. 
So yeah, I, I always have to remind myself that Goldman Sachs has a much smaller float than other banks. There are far fewer shares out there, which is why their earnings per share is so much higher, right? Like Bank America's earnings per share was 51 cents. Goldman Sachs' earnings per share was $9.68. That's just more of a, a, a more because they have a smaller float. So their earnings per share is higher. Regardless though- Well, the earnings per share, I'm gonna stop you right there. I don't agree with that at all. Earnings per share is earnings per share. So $9 is still giving you $9 of earnings per share. So there might be a lower float and that might be how they drive the earnings up overall. But I mean, it's just they have more dollars per share that they're making. Right. So it's okay. still, so you're still getting, like you're comparing apples to apples. So Bank America, obviously compared to Goldman Sachs, the earnings are still apples to apples despite Goldman having a lower float. I mean, you could argue the same thing with Apple. Apple's you know, float has always been lower too. So I, I, it's just, okay. So anyways, I just wanted to make that point that I don't right, totally right, agree with right, that. Right, but the way the number is calculated, like the, the denominator is, is, is smaller, right? For it's how they get the EPS up, but you're right. still getting, when you're buying a $210, you're getting $10 worth of this quarter's earnings or $9. Right, right, right. Okay, so crazy impressive. Right, so Goldman Sachs prints money is the bottom line here. Oh. Their, their earnings per share were $9.68 for, I say, $5.57. Woohoo! Sales, 10.78 versus $9.46 billion. Uh, what else did I see here? Investment banking revenue, uh, almost $2 billion. Equity revenues, uh, up 10% year over year. Uh, they, they, it was a great quarter for Goldman Sachs. I see in the chart. The stock just is unbelievable that they just never care. I mean, think about if this was a technology company making $10 when their estimates were five or nine when their estimates were five. The thing would be up 10, 15, 20%. But because it's a bank, because it's Goldman and we just don't care. Um, and you know, the PE, like what is the PE on this thing now? I mean, is that $9? I don't know if they can continue to make $9 every quarter, but you start just thinking if they're making 35, 36 bucks a year, I mean, the P is like five. So it's been a value trap for a long time because really the stock has gone absolutely nowhere. You can bring up Goldman Sachs over the last six years. They've made a hell of a lot of money, but the stock goes nowhere. So $220, you can look, you know, 216. So back in 2015, they made $220 just for fun in the background, Spencer. Go to the Benzinga Pro because you can get all this information in Benzinga Pro. Go back to the last four or five years and just kind of ballpark how much money Goldman Sachs has made, like EPS has made in the last five years for the stock price to appreciate zero. Well, if you- th- I know you don't have to, I was going to throw it to Joel first, because right, well, that'll I'll take you a say, second to do that research. Right, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> I'm sending <laughs> you to do the research okay. while Joel gives the technicals. <laughs> you know, Spencer gets- I threw uh, you right under the bus. He gets, a, gets a CFA lesson, and then I'm, he gets- uh, Yeah, now I'm making him do the CFA homework. Demand. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're demanding of somebody else besides me this morning. I demand from everyone. <laughs> I demand tickers from the chat. I demand- <laughs> information from Mr. Israel. I demand charts from Joel. I'm just a demanding <laughs> You are. You are. I don't know how Laura, put, I don't know how Laura puts up with you. Well, you uh, know what? No, she, she goes the other way. So it's probably because she delegates all the jobs onto me. So that's why I delegate all my jobs onto you. So uh, she's like the godfather of like the whole operation, really. Oh, just the quiet. <laughs> Speak softly, but carries a big stick, right? Oh yeah. Uh, what's going on at two seventeen fifty is what I want to know. Uh, someone's been there. 
over the last half hour. I mean, they're there. They want to sell stock at 1750. I'll respect that for now. The dailies tell me that there's room up to 220. If you could get to this 1750, uh, where to buy this on a pullback? I have absolutely no idea. Did it really just go down under 213, Dennis? Was that an odd lot or? No, that's your eight o'clock prints. So this is a good question to let everybody know. When you see a sudden spike in your chart at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m., 7 a.m. are actually pre-market prints. Um, because that's when Edge opens. That's when a lot of exchanges open. Eight o'clock is usually your off exchange. They're grabbing stuff from the night before. So okay. for whatever reason, a lot of prints hit at eight o'clock. And those are old trades. So that spike did not occur. That was actually just off exchange trading. If your charts and, and here, okay, here's a tip to all of trade station, everybody who produces charts. After hours, eliminate the FINRA ticks. I know. Get them out of there. You know, you come up with the charting software, and we know there's a lot of, you know, technical people, and and some of these companies listen to us. Here's a tip for you guys. After hours, during the the regular session, you see a lot of FINRA prints because that's off-exchange market makers. And what we say is FINRA, it's it's the FINRA trade reporting facility where off-exchange trades go to show their trade. So you have a lot of off-exchange market makers during the regular session. They're there in the after-hours, too, and some of that, but it's not as prevalent. But what you have after-hours is a lot of after-hours reporting that's going on. It's trades that occurred during the day or trades that occurred at the close that haven't been reported to the tape yet. They don't get reported sometimes immediately. Sometimes these big blocks don't get reported immediately. Sometimes they're negotiated trades. You know, they have liquid net coming in there where you have big institution crossing with another big institution. And sometimes those trades don't instantly report to the tape. I wish they all did, but they don't. So when you see these big moves at eight o'clock, a lot of times those are just old prints moving the charts around. Those did not occur at that time. Those are trades from earlier that are just hitting the tape and your, your software is picking up thinking it's a trade that's happening right now, but that is not the case. And the reason you see that is because you have, um, you, do you, could you just tell like just by looking at it or do you have your, your tape open where you see? Well, you can go look at the tape and you can yeah, analyze it. Yeah. But when I, you see it on almost every stock at eight o'clock Eastern, yeah. you see crazy moves in both directions all the time. Those aren't trades. Those are almost, there's no exchange that's open at seven o'clock edge opens. And those are probably trades. You have all direct edge opening bats is opening. You have, so if I'll, I'll take you through the lesson real quickly here. We're going to sure. get back to Spencer because he did his homework. Now he's had a lot of time to do his homework. Yep. <laughs> but 4 a.m. ARCA and NSDQ open. Those are your only two real public exchanges that are open for trading between, you know, at, at 4 a.m. And then you have 7 a.m. You get all the, the edge products that open. So you have bats, direct edge, edge A, um, you know, the, the four exchanges that they own because there's like 14 exchanges there now. Um, so they open at 7 a.m. That's you see some moves at 7 a.m. Those trades usually are actually occurring because that's new orders, retail orders often coming in. Because if you know, like if you know, if you're in a retail platform, a lot of retail platforms don't allow you to trade before seven because they're trading on edge and they don't open till seven. So it depends. Like if you're at IB, you can trade at four. So it all depends on where your broker is. But um, at seven o'clock, those exchanges open that will move price because you have new orders coming in and flooding the market. 8 a.m. is like FINRA prints and they're coming in and these are old trades that are just moving the prices around, but they're not really occurring. So the price really isn't moving. You're just seeing it on the tape 
and your charts are picking it up, which they shouldn't. They should eliminate those trades because they just annoy you. And you think, oh, well, look, look at the big fall. Why didn't I have my order out there? That's an old trade. It's just being reported late. It's you can't get that print. You can't get that trade. It didn't occur. It occurred hours ago. It's just you know getting reported now, and that's what screws up the trade. That, that's what screws up the charts at eight a.m. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Lester said, Dennis, I had an example of bid out for Goldman Sachs for two twelve at seven fifty five a.m. and the low at eight was two twelve. Because I'd okay, good, great question. So I'm just I, I I just answered it, but I'll explain it clearly. Yeah. Your order at 212 is still sitting out there because the, tr the stock did not trade down to 212 at 8 a.m. Even though your chart is showing that trade down to 212 at 8 a.m., that is a late print that is not occurring. Th those trades occurred way before. Those trades probably occurred yesterday. And they're just getting reported to the tape now. And it's your chart provider that is reporting, that is picking that up, thinking it's a trade right now, but it's not. Like, for instance, on Goldman Sachs, I just saw a trade go off on FINRA 210.81. Well, obviously, that was a cross from the night before because that's at the closing print. So that trade that just got reported at 8.12.42 for 6,000 shares did not just occur right now. It occurred at the 4 o'clock close yesterday, but it's just hitting the tape now. So these off-exchange trades hit the tape late, a lot of them. And that's why you know it throws out your charts. But those trades aren't actually occurring right now. Back to GS. Yeah, to answer your question on Goldman Sachs, so if you just go back to the last eight quarters, we're looking at 39. Can you show that, Spencer? Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, let's get it. We're, we're advertising the pro. Yeah, we're trying to sell pro. Yeah, all right. Let me, this is uh, what I use to. Get in there yeah. and buy some pro. All right. So this, this, <laughs> this, is, just your, this is just your simple earnings calendar, right? Uh, Goldman Sachs, GS there. I only went back to the last eight quarters. That includes the total mess. That was Q2. Yeah. Uh, but if you go back to the last eight quarters, we're looking at earnings per share of $39, essentially. They made $39 in the last two years, yeah. and the stock has gone nowhere. They just don't care. Wow. You know what stock's in need of financial engineering? Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Disney financial engineering with the Disney Plus. They should hire let's that spin off, like, Let's go and spin off the investment banking business or something, GS. If you guys are listening, GS... Let's spin something off. Let's do something cool because you know what? We need to sexify your stock. Is that a word, sexify? If it's not, yeah. I just created it. Just we need it. to sexify your stock. I got an so idea. So this is what needs to happen because here you kill the earnings, you rock and roll, you do everything, you're firing on all cylinders, and the market doesn't reward you again. Let's sexify this stock and do some type of spin off or some type of, you know, something sexy because right now, all the banks are opposite of sexy, and they need the retail love. They need a story. Mitch knows about the story. Goldman Sachs doesn't have the story. Everybody thinks they're, you know, that they're just evil, and it's not the case. There's so many good people that work at Goldman. It's not the case at all. But um, the stock itself does not get rewarded for, for what it does, and this company prints money, and nobody cares. This is what they should do. They should go private, okay, and then we should create a SPAC. <laughs> And then, and then we bring, bring it back, back. Bring it back as a spec. Uh, anyways, uh, this uh, fifteen minutes was brought to you by Goldman Sachs. Uh, Two seventeen. Uh, well, we're hoping that they're listening because you know what? I feel like buying shares and just. I know. I was going to own any bank. 
And I and it's It'd weird to call, it's weird to call Goldman Sachs a bank, isn't it? Because you know they obviously were always investment bank, but you know they obviously have other operations too. But you know we just throw it in there. It's not like your traditional Wells Fargo Bank America. The reason that Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley do better is because of all that investment banking arm to it. Like where obviously their banks are involved as well, but not to the degree of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Have so, I told my Goldman Sachs story when I uh, I almost worked at Goldman Sachs? No, I don't think so. I've never told that story. Tell, tell a story. So September, my senior year in college, I knew I wanted to work on the floor. So I went down to the Merck. And this is like September, right? So I'm graduating in May. And I'm walking around the floor. I got on the floor and I'm talking to different people. And this guy, his badge was E-Z, Ed Zegar. That's an awesome badge. Yeah. Easy. And he, uh, you know, I said, hey. He goes, what are you doing? I go, um, I'm at Michigan. He goes, and I'm, you know, down here looking for a job. He goes, you want a job? And I, you know, with Goldman, I'm like, yeah, I want a job. Hell yeah. Yeah. And he goes, okay, can you start Monday? And um, I'm like, shoot, you know, I just started dating Lisa. I am a senior in college. Uh, let, let me call my dad. So I called my dad. I said, dad. Uh, oh, no. I'm dad, he, maybe- the dad, let's stop you there and interrupt you. So the dad <laughs> who thought TV was a fad. The dad who said nobody will buy a six cent McDonald's cheeseburger. Nobody's going to pay six cents for a McDonald's cheeseburger. It was a nickel. Joel's going to advice to his dad. Okay, continue. We wanted to color that for you. And uh, I can't really use the exact words that he said, but he basically said, you're getting on the train tomorrow and you're going back to Michigan and you're graduating. And then you can come back and uh, get a job with them. So, of course... I go back, uh, you know, just after I, two days after I graduated and uh, instead of working for Goldman Sachs, I worked for Iowa Grain. I had to be stuffing uh, envelopes at six in the morning at the Chicago Board of Trade. So that job wasn't, uh, that job wasn't still available, but boy, oh boy. I, I, Iowa Grain and you could have been working at Goldman Sachs. Dad, your dad was good at the horses, <laughs> but I don't know on some of this other advice. <laughs> yeah. You well, get Goldman I mean, Sachs knocking on your door, do? you say yes. Drop out of college? Well, you know, yeah, I don't know what the year? dropping out of college thing either. Yeah, yeah, he went, he went up to that. But you uh, know how hard it is to get, like, so obviously I know a lot of people at Goldman. Goldman's are clearing brokers, so we've dealt with Goldman for a long time. Do you know when they're interviewing somebody at Goldman that a typical, to get a job at Goldman, you typically go through 25 interviews? Did you know that? Uh, it wasn't back know. then. It was just a ton of interviews. Of at least that's what my one friend from, that works at Goldman says. It's a ton of interviews you go through to get through Goldman Sachs. Some of them are four or five interviews in the same day. But the way that they say is like, you know, if you, you, you know, anybody's a smooth talker, you know, you can get through one or two interviews and you can smooth talk your way in. You try to get through 25 interviews and you're BSing, somebody's going to catch you in there through 25 interviews. So. Goldman All right, does let's try to right cover way. two stocks today, at least two. Okay. Well, we got one. So got Goldman one Sachs. In. I'm buying the pullback in Goldman Sachs, and I'm I'm gonna go activist on there and and tell them let's spin the investment banking business off or do something sexy here, and then maybe we can actually see some appreciation in the stock because it's gone nowhere and you've made a lot of money. They're doing everything right. It's time for financial engineering on Goldman Sachs. So we need it. Stocks, please. What you're saying. 
Well, uh, that would help no, too. <laughs> that would help as well. Okay, that's not a bad idea. That's a low-hanging fruit, Mister Israel. So maybe you should be the one to give this out. You, maybe you should be the activist. Yeah, we want a stock split. We right, want well, a stock split. We want another stock before right, we yeah, start losing. There are people. two other banks reporting. A uh, major banks, uh, national banks reporting this morning. Uh, Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Bank of America two cent beat fifty one cents for forty nine cents on their EPS sales. Uh, 20.34 versus 20.45. Um, I'm sorry, versus 20.81 billion. So slight miss in sales, slight beat on EPS. Wells Fargo, uh, slight miss on their EPS, slight beat on their sales. So both were mixed. Regardless, they were not nearly as good as Goldman Sachs. Yeah, and, and always the case. No other bank reports earnings like Goldman Sachs. Morgan's showing a little bit of life, but uh, how do you get interested in Wells Fargo? I mean, could they bounce? Yeah, you know, I guess it's buy the dip, sell the rip in all the banks. You sell, if you were selling the rip yesterday in JP Morgan and Citigroup, like we were telling you to, we were spelling it out. We don't give investment advice, but I was like, if I was, I, I was setting up the short, I'm like, why am I going to buy these stocks that always seem to give back the pre-market gains? And they just like clockwork do the exact same thing they've done for the previous three quarters, trade up in the pre-market on okay earnings and then slam them during the day and they did it they did it again so now it's like okay well wells fargo got hit yesterday on Citigroup and bank and uh jp morgan and bank america was down too so they're down a little bit more but you actually could see the opposite thing here occur if they really get washed out you could probably see some life come into these things because they were hitting the good stocks on the okay earnings so maybe they're going to buy the, the stocks yeah, the bank knows, stocks right? and the patterns so it's like clockwork again. I'd actually be a, a, a dip buyer in Wells Fargo at 24. Yep. And I see Bank that America at 24 as well. We've got, yep. we got support down there. Yep. If you're selling them down here, I think you're on the wrong side of the trade. That's just my opinion. I have no crystal ball, but that's what my spiny senses are telling me that I think I'd be a dip buyer in these. Yeah. Not even you, looking at the numbers. And then use unchanged as a potential resistance here, but I do sure. see that low just over 24 in Bank America, and, or excuse me, in Wells Fargo, and then Bank America. Bank America always seems to put in a couple lows or a couple highs in the same area. So I don't know if I'd hop on this one as quickly today, see what the low is for today, see if they tested tomorrow, uh, but got up near the top of the trading range. And then I don't think we're going to see the bottom of the trading range in this one. Uh, 23 bucks old, old nation's bank here, bank of America. Just, uh, it's not, I mean, it's far off that, that March low, but just nothing sexy here. Looking at the other earnings, I don't see anything interesting to you. You see anything, Spencer? I mean, it's, you know, UNH, mm. massive company, but not super exciting. Not moving. Uh, U.S. Bank Corp, again, not super exciting. Yeah. Uh, so, no. Opposite of sexy. We only talk sexy stocks on this show All right, right now. So, let's go to the sexy Neo. stock. You want to talk about Neo? Let's do it. All right, two things on this. Uh, so, yeah, there's an upgrade this morning from J.P. Morgan to overweight. They're giving it a $40 price target. But also, all you NEO traders, put this date on your calendar, January 9th. And That's set a long ways away. I know. So set your My set calendar a, doesn't go that far. Set a calendar to uh, remind yourself, like, sometime late December for this January 9th event. That is NEO Day, okay? So it's like Battery Day, but it's NEO Day. Uh, we know how these stocks can run up into their big – um, you know, remind me, put a calendar day. in yeah. your, put a note in your calendar to remind us of this the week before. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's when we're going to look right. at it. We'll remind you all the end of December. Uh, Excellent. 
for January 9th. So Neo Day, Excellent. that's 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 months away. We'll get long Neo again three days before that event. Today, though, this upgrade from JP Morgan that's to huge. a big upgrade. Yeah. So when was the last upgrade that Neo has gotten? Probably in, the big spike up from when it went from in, 15 in, to 20 in two bro. days. Um, so yeah. do you do you yeah, take the analyst like he goes over to the technical analysis department and hey, hey, what do you think about Neo here? They're like, oh man, this is consolidating right near the high. A lot of people are probably short. So if you give it an upgrade now, man, you're gonna blow people through 22 and change. And uh, and they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Then look at that because it was just that I talked about this on a pre pre market show. Dennis is good at looking at these stocks and consolidation and saying, hey, you know, the move is up, continuation move. You're getting it. Uh, haven't quite got to 24. That's new all time high mark, uh, 2394, uh, as the, uh, current high. So 24 potential resistance. I think you'll get a chance to buy this a little bit cheaper. I don't know where, but I think you get a chance to buy it. Maybe in the lower 23 handle. This thing always seems to whip around when it has these big gap offs. Well, it's hard I'm, not, to chase. I'm not buying this thing at 23.78 or whatever, or 60, hoping to get out at 24, Dennis. You could do that, but – and Jeremy Newsom. I don't chase. Yeah, I'm I don't not chasing chase. it. Yeah. So I'm and already long, Neo. I am long, Neo. I've been long, Neo. I was long – I. you know what? Neo is one you got to be patient with. Because I was in Neo probably early September, and I bought it around I think eighteen bucks, and I sat here waiting and waiting, and then it went to twenty, and I was like, oh, this is the time, and no, it's pulling back, and it's waiting and waiting and waiting, and then it gets down to sixteen seventy-five, and I'm like, is it ever gonna go? Because it was in consolidation station for the first three weeks of September, and then we had some type of catalyst back on September 29th. Maybe you can tell me what that is if you look at the pro Spencer, but we blasted off, and now. We've been in this bull flag consolidation station here for the last two weeks, sitting here waiting for a catalyst, waiting for a catalyst, waiting for a catalyst. And finally, we get a catalyst this morning, JP Morgan with the upgrade and the stock's making new highs again. So the patient trader is rewarded here. I usually am not the patient trader, and I almost sold this a couple times again, but I did hold on to it. I'm still holding on to it. Stock's making new all-time highs. There's absolutely no reason for me to come in and sell a stock that's making new all-time highs. Yeah, you know what's funny? So you mentioned September 29th. That wasn't even an upgrade. That was just an analyst who was already bullish maintaining their bullish thesis. So uh, the, the guy from Deutsche Bank re reiterated his buy rating and price target, but just came out with a positive note. That's all it took. And, and that's what they need. They, it, like I've said before, if you could go and back out all the analyst action, yeah. just back it all out of the stock prices of every single stock, the charts would look completely different. Because you see 3 4% spike ups or spike downs all on analyst action. Besides yeah. earnings, there's no catalyst that is, you know, move stocks really more than earnings. You know, on any, or, or, but then you got the analyst reports. I would rank them number two. So it's sitting here waiting. Why is it up? You know, why are we up 10% today? Because JP Morgan upgraded it. That's the only reason. If JP Morgan didn't upgrade, it wouldn't be up that. So if you could just take out all the analyst noise, the charts would look completely different. So my point being is that 
the analysts matter. And what we try to do sometimes is predict analyst action. We talk about this analyst chasing price and we see stocks going higher, higher. The reason they continue to go higher is you have analysts who are maybe neutral on it. They got to get bullish because they look dumb. So they got to raise it up or they got to raise their price targets so they don't look dumb. And, you know, and, and some, in some cases they've got it right and they're just raising it up because they've been right and they think it can go higher yet. But in some cases, you just have analysts chasing price. And that's why the strong gets stronger and the weak get weaker, because there's not very many contrarian analysts out there anymore. They all want to be on the Momo train, and they're looking, you know, for what's moving higher. So when you see consolidation in a stock like this for two weeks, and the stock needs a catalyst, more often than not, it's probably going to get an upgrade and not going to get a downgrade. Because if JP Warren came downgrade to sell today, we'd be down under $20. So it all depends that you're trying to almost predict what the analyst action is going to be. When stocks are up at the highs and you're looking for a reason and you've got an analyst sitting with a report that they, we kind of like this, they're looking for the consolidation to strike too because they don't want to upgrade after it's ran up 10%. They want to strike at the rate. We had Michael Pachter on the show saying that. They try to time those rates. Yeah, he too. did. That was great. Yeah. That yeah, was he said it. Yep. You know, he's like, I missed it. You know, I, I was going to upgrade it and then it ran and then I, you know, was waiting for a pullback to upgrade it. So they're trying to time it. And, it, and then the pullback never came, so he never upgraded it. I forget what stock that was, but they, they, they do. The point being, Joel, you made a good point. They do look at the charts to a certain extent to try to time. Uh, sometimes these reports, I believe, are sitting there, for, you know, kind of just ready to go for a week or two, but they're trying to get the timing of it right. So I believe that happens. Obviously, every analyst is going to do it their own way, but I think that they do look at the charts. You know, I'm actually, I was going to say, hey, what do their cars look like? And But you know what? I, the cars... Cool. Can we show a picture of a Neil? Um, sure. Uh, yeah, you know what? I got we, it. I got it. About this, I actually. Show. Can you guys see it now? No, you got to share your screen. We're, we're oh, that screen. would help. But uh, we talked about this on the show. There are like a dozen or so of these electric car companies uh, out there, maybe more, but only a handful actually have cars to sell, and Neo is one of them. Yeah. There you go. So it's a real like car. Looks like it a Tesla, cars. doesn't it? That's oh. kind of cool. Look at that little look at that sporty one down there a little further from Which Barron's. One? Which no, one? Uh, well, I can't. I don't control your mouse, so I'm looking <laughs> at that like purple, like blue one there on the left. This one? No. Uh, well, that one looks pretty cool too. That one. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one looks cool. Bringing that one yeah. up. I mean, yeah. Of course, they look cool. Looks like a Batmobile. I like that. And yeah. oh, it's like a cool car. That looks sexy oh, to you, me. Uh, sexy how much car, is that? sexy story. Stand long. How much is that that car? If you if you go to the website, there are there's more there's better pictures. Oh, look at the doors opening like that too. You know how you know I told you guys that I was never gonna buy another car. Yeah, what'd you buy? No, I, I might I I like this car, but I think it would it would have to be um, a Corvette. A Corvette, I like the Corvette too. Yeah. Just but anyways, electric vehicle, electric. Uh, the Tesla's going to be faster than the Corvette here eventually, though. They're going to do another update that's going to beat the Corvette. All okay. right, zero to sixty in three seconds. Insane. Eight eight thirty. What do you need that for? What do I need a What do I need a car for? To go like to the zero grocery to sixty store? in three seconds, just because it's cool. <laughs> Joel, Joel, life is about sexiness, I guess. And I'm the opposite. You said that like five <laughs> times today. It's the Let's... word of the day: sexify. I created a word Ew, today. Geez. I created a word today on pre market prep. Come on, Spencer. Google it. Is it a word? Spencer with the Dave, save. Come yeah, on. David Trainer will be on with us in five minutes. Thank God. Between <laughs> between now and then. Let's, 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 let's do the opposite of sexy. Yeah. And that's AMC. There are, yeah. <laughs> so we talked about this one yesterday. 
Holy, uh, we were right again. We had a good show yesterday. We were right about the banks. We were right about AMC. I don't know if we were right about anything else, but at least we were right about two things. <laughs> so, so the company said we, we're going to run out of cash very soon. And then last night, Bloomberg reported that they are considering filing for bankruptcy. So, so not out of the blue, obviously. And, and especially if you listen to pre-market prep, because yesterday morning we outlined this scenario and saying with the Disney Plus, I'm like, this has got to be bad. We said it. You, you brought it up. Spencer, it's got to be bad for AMC and CNK. It's, it's not good news if Disney all of a sudden decides to just go straight to Disney Plus and say, ah, we're not sending to theaters. I mean, that's like a final nail in the cough. So, you know, and obviously these stock charts are disasters. And we had the short squeezes a couple times in these. And maybe there's a few more short squeezes to be had yet. And we know companies go bankrupt. We learned from Hertz that they don't go straight to zero. But they're also, you know, from Hertz perspective, not investable because Hertz was around three bucks when it decided to go bankrupt. And yeah, it had that ridiculous, you know, spike or whatever it did after the fact. But it's down here at a buck and obviously in trouble. Um, AMC, CNK, I think both these companies in serious trouble, full disclosure, I am short CNK. Um, I'm not short AMC for the simple reason is that I can't get a locate on it. Otherwise, I would be short that too. So no locate AMC, but Man. there is locates for CNK. The other one, which I am short as well, and, and these are trades, these are short-term trades, but I'm trading it just off of the, the potential bankruptcy headline, is EPR. And EPR, EPR? What is that? EPR is, is EPR properties reads entertainment uh, properties reads. You want to know line. their exposure? I did some homework last night too, Mr. Israel. <laughs> Look at this. You know what their exposure is to theaters? And I guess it's like eighty percent. It's forty six percent. So it's half the revenue is theaters. So if theaters are in trouble, and this is why EPR got hit yesterday. Again, the Disney Plus headline, which we gave you, and, and these stocks weren't even down. We didn't talk EPR, but we talked AMC, and it was barely down. We talked CMK, it was barely down. It's like, this is not good for them. And then the market finally figured it out later on in that day. Maybe it's because David Faber and Kramer started talking about our segment, basically. You know, they don't give our names, but they're talking about what we just <laughs> talked about at 8 o'clock. Maybe it was obvious to them, or maybe it was more obvious to the producer who was watching our show and that fed it to them but um epr you know we've got obviously trading down here now too i mean it's tough it's tough to be long cinemas and epr having 46 percent of their revenue from this that doesn't sound good either i don't know what the other 54 is but i don't like half my revenue is coming from theaters they're really not, right not even i mean besides them not even they're not even a lot of movies aren't in production though right so uh, oh like, yeah, yeah like, well, i don't so. know they're gonna just watch old movies a lot of stuff's not in production there's so many problems with the movie theaters like co like like we said yesterday rewind the COVID. tape rewind the tape but yesterday we said you know these movie theaters you know we're all in trouble before COVID happened and now you get COVID coming in and they were sitting teetering on the edge of the cliff and COVID came and kicked them over the cliff. So are they crashing and burning or are they going to have a parachute come out at the last second? We don't know yet. Maybe there'll be a parachute at the last second, but right now it looks like they're crashing and burning and going to fall off. You know and, what and, though? And done. It looks Some like of that. these places, I mean, you know, Amazon's going to go after somebody. I, I think the only reason I think these stocks aren't going to zero is the ones that have the really big places, I think, could get Amazon. Or just Amazon, maybe. And, I, and, I, and this is purely speculation. I know there was a rumor about it. Some of the smaller theaters, if you own a bunch of these smaller uh, regional cinemas, no. But think about um, 
Spencer, like Commerce or um, where are some of the, uh, you know, these huge ones. And if you look at the infrastructure, when you look at real estate, you, you look at, okay, what do I have to do to get it to my purpose? And with some of these huge cavernous uh, theaters, man, you just knock out the seats, rip down the screens and, uh, and you even got some bathrooms in there. Why, you so, think you're going to have Amazon stores? Uh, no, Amazon's fulfillment center is absolutely yeah. fulfillment center. Yeah, that's absolutely. the only reason. That's yeah. the only thing. I mean, why not? I, I, I got a story here, too. We'll get David in a second. But yeah. my father-in-law had the same idea. He bought an old movie theater in his town. And he bought it for a cheap, cheap price. And he's like, I'm going to convert this and do this. And it was a money pit for him. He got it so cheap. He got it for like 40 grand. He's like, look at this huge thing I got. And he's got, you know, people trying to take out the seats and, you know, figuring it all out. And anyways, you know, he tried to convert this movie theater into something that obviously wasn't going to be a movie theater. And he just was sinking money and money and money. He's like, this is the worst investment I've ever made. So point being is that I don't know if it's that Does he still have it? to convert these. No, he finally got rid of it, oh, but he shoot, took a I huge loss it on it. Oh, huge I loss. I would have blown it. I would have thrown a bid out there, low ball bid, you know, cash offer. I bet you. But then, but then this is a money pit. So I mean, what are you going to do? You could have got it for go- nothing and it was still a money pit because you got, you know, you're paying property taxes on that too. What are you going to do, do? Go do after a it? mall? Like I don't know. know what you do with it. It's tough. I think you should probably know what you're going to do with it before you buy it. Dan <laughs> says no more coffee for me. Okay. We're going on to David. I've been talking too much. Lesson. All right. Let's, let's bring, bring our guest on. David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs, joins us pretty much every earnings season because he's the one that's looking deep into these reports uh, and, you know, what these companies are hiding in the footnotes or trying to hide. David, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, would you buy a movie theater if you could? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I like your point about you should know what you're going to do before you buy it as opposed to after you buy it. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, it's probably, probably the biggest takeaway from that discussion. So uh, uh, before we get to some stocks uh, you know, that you're watching here for, for a strong beat or a strong miss or stocks you like or you don't like based on what they're, they're hiding uh, – what have you seen so far? I mean, we're pretty much done with the banks. We have a couple more left, but most of the big banks are out. What have you seen so far from the earnings? There's only been a handful. Yeah, I think we're not really many surprises, right? We're looking more and more like a sort of a wide U recovery. We didn't get the bounce back that we were sort of hoping, I think, at the beginning of the summer as COVID bounced back really stronger than the economy ended up bouncing back. So it's, you know, I think we're in a spot where, where people really got to do their homework. They got to, you know, sharpen their pencils and make sure they understand what's going on with individual companies, because we can't just paint everybody with the same brush and assuming that the rising tide is going to lift all the ships because the economy is uh, better in places, some places than others, you know, for example, movie theaters, super weak. Uh, Banks are still, I think, relatively weak. They've done great on their trading and investment banking, but we all know those are sort of short term blips. That's not sustainable forever. Uh, and their core businesses are struggling. And until we really, I think, see an economic rebound, they're not going to do so great. I don't know if you've had a chance to look too closely at, at the banks or the ones from yesterday, but was there anything in there that surprised you if you, if you, have, if you had the chance to look at them? No, not really. I mean, yeah. look, we, we like J.P. Morgan as a long-term holding. Uh, it's, it's one of our seats of the dip focus list stocks. We think that they're a best-in-class performer, but you know, we're not going to, we're not expecting to see a huge run, you know, like a, a tech stock run, a snowflake or a Tesla or a Peloton type run from a JP Morgan. We also don't think you will see anywhere close to the downside 
because you know they're, they're still struggling with a super low interest rate environment and without a real economic turnaround. These guys are carrying a lot of risk that there's bad debt on the balance sheet and they're not really getting any, any tailwinds from the economy. So it's, it's a tough spot to be in. I want to ask you about some upcoming reports. And before we go to specific names, when I say, for example, that you're expecting um, a strong earnings distortion to the upside or earnings distortion to the downside, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, we, our scores provide clients with the best indication as to whether or not a company is going to beat or miss based on the quality of their earnings. So we have been, as you mentioned, doing this work in the footnotes for close to 20 years now. And we've done studies, um, Ernst & Young, Harvard Business School, MIT Sloan, they've all published papers showing that when you do this work in the footnotes, it makes a difference. It's material. And so we look at the amount of distortion as a bad thing. When distortion is high, companies are likely to miss because they've been writing unusual gains into their earnings in a way that makes those earnings look better than the core business really is. And then there's the opposite. When earnings distortion is negative, you've got unusual expenses that have been dragging earnings down and making earnings look worse than you might expect. So when we say there's a strong miss score for a company, we think the likelihood of them missing is the highest because they've been using unusual items to boost their earnings in the short term and that can't last forever. So let's go to some specific names uh, that we're going to get here in the next couple of days or a week. Uh, what jumped out to me on, on your list, a couple of names that you're looking for strong beats for Atlassian, Team, and Schlumberger on complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, uh, you know, what's in favor, what's out of favor, but you, you think they're both going to have strong earnings beats. Yeah, that's right. And again, this is sort of industry agnostic. This is just doing a deep right. dive on the numbers. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, not many people like to read through filings anymore. And, and uh, we we're doing that. And, uh, and we're agnostic about what the company is, uh, what it does. We're just, show, we're just showing that these guys have been, they've had unusual expenses dragging earnings down. And we think that the core fundamentals of the business are better than what their earnings have shown. And there's a good likelihood they're going to beat. Does your research include, uh, you know, how the stock behaves around a report leading into it uh, in the immediate aftermath and maybe longer term after that? We do not do technical analysis. Yeah. We, we leave that to other experts like, like you guys. That's, uh, we're, just the, we're, the, we're the numbers nerds in terms of the financials, uh, the dollar signs. Uh, and yeah, the technical stuff, sentiment. There's so many other people that do that well. Um, we absolutely recommend that people overlay that work on what we do. We don't believe fundamentals should be 100% of your process, but it shouldn't be zero either. Right. So, so can you speak to either of those companies and, and their reports and why you think there's going to be a, they're both going to beat on their earnings? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, the big, the headline, the takeaway, like for Schlumberger, is that we've, we've seen uh, in, in the reported earnings and income statements that um, they've had unusual gains and losses over the last several quarters um, that have dragged their accounting earnings way down. So like, for example, we show that uh, the reported earnings on a trailing 12 months basis was negative 20, almost 22 uh, billion, uh, 2019 negative 10 billion, where the core earnings, when you exclude those unusual items, is positive. 2.2 billion in 2019, 1.6 billion on a trailing 12 months basis. So um, huge items that are causing their company, the, the firm to understate profits, um, and 
we think that that stuff has has caused the numbers to be understated uh, and the company you know once they get past these unusual items we should see a nice increase and the core earnings are always going to reflect that all right joel joel won't ask a question but he's on mute so he's talking to himself right <laughs> talking now. To himself. he does that yeah. once a show though yeah that's what uh, do you see any do. um yeah take your vitamins <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, I know it was hard. I know it was hard for you to be quiet for four minutes there. So, um, do you see anything uh, industry consistent industry wise? Like you know, like okay, so Schlumberger may beat Exxon Mobil, uh, Chevron. Does it translate, or are you looking at such you know particular items that they're really specific to a company? You know, we actually we did uh, a big study on economic earnings and uh, core earnings versus um, operating earnings for the uh, S&P and all of its sectors. Um, and I'm going back and taking a look at that right now because we broke okay. it down by sector. And for sure, what we're seeing is that uh, in this study, we're actually going head to head with our core earnings versus S&P Global's operating uh, profit. Uh, and uh, after tax. And so our number is a lot more, less volatile. Um, and let's see, we only saw one sector um, in the last year that had an increase in core earnings. That was the tech sector. Uh, everything, every other sector was down big. The energy sector was the worst. Uh, but the trends in general, and looking, at, looking through all the sort of sector charts right now, they, they're kind of what you would think Right. Looking right. pretty the good. Strong gets stronger, right? Yeah. Looking pretty good going to the end of 19 and then, you know, not so good since then. Um, but the, except for the, the non-cyclicals, they're actually uh, hanging in there pretty well. Uh, the, the trend there is, is, is pretty flat, especially when you compare to net income. So we're seeing a ton of unusual items bringing core uh, net income way down compared to core earnings. Um, energy sector, obviously, it's not as bad as it looks. For us in the energy sector, there's a lot of unusual items. We did a piece in the Wall Street Journal recently showing that there have been more write downs in the first half of 2020 than all of 2019 in any other whole year since the financial crisis. So, Inter interesting. How about, um, and this is just, I'm just going from an overall S&P 500 perspective. I mean, all right, Q2, okay, it was only part of the crisis, right? And so earnings were okay, right? Now Q3, and, you know, I, I think so far the earnings have really, you know, have really surprised with everything, with the economy being shut down, you know, the lockdowns and everything. You know, you think it's, you know, Q3, you're going to see this, this tail off or maybe not to Q4 or never. I, I'm just wondering when, when we're going to see, I mean, I guess you see it in individual companies, but from a huge macro perspective, uh, do, do you see a tail off Q3, Q4, Q1 of next year? What are you looking at? I think we're going to definitely begin to see the, the earnings flatten out. We're not going to see the declines continue. I think we're, you know, we're sort of the, the bottom of the U, so to speak. Uh, and I'm a big believer that this is not a forever, that we're going to get past it, that we're going to be able to be social again. I think humans like to be social. Um, we like concerts. We like restaurants. We like being with other folks. We like community. Uh, and, and, I, and I think we're, we're going to get past this. I don't think this is a forever way of life. And, and in, that, in that case, uh, you know, a lot of these companies will return somewhat to normal. Some things you know, will, will potentially take a, a longer than others. You know, I think cruises... And some of these you know, leisure activities 
may take the longest. Uh, but, but uh, you know, there are some sectors, like I'm going through the sector charts here, look, healthcare, I mean, they, it's barely missed a beat. I mean, it, it's just continuing a trend up. Now, there's, there's been a bit of a dip down here in 2020, uh, but for the most part, it's trending up very similar to what we're seeing in, in, in tech. Um, and so we know a lot of tech stocks are hurting. So again, and, and some healthcare uh, stocks are hurting, especially the more discretionary types of, of healthcare services. So again, it's, it's, it's always fun to have a big picture perspective, but I think when it comes to picking stocks, there's no substitute for doing a deep dive and understanding exactly what's going on. Yeah, David, I, I, I wanna, I'm sorry, Dennis, go ahead. I was gonna say general question here and then we'll let Spencer ask a question too. Um, <laughs> What is like, what do you think it is that, you know, some stocks get rewarded so much, you know, for having good earnings? Like we were talking Goldman Sachs this morning, and it's a company that continuously, I know two quarters ago, they didn't beat because we were obviously at the COVID crisis. But, you know, it's a company that regularly beats earnings and by a significant margin. And they don't get rewarded. And then you have other companies that sometimes miss, but they find a reason, you know, to love them anyways. And you have some companies like Tesla that, you know, don't make much money at all, but, you know, the stocks just keep going and going and going and doesn't care. And you see some stocks trading with PEs of 100 and you have other stocks trading with PEs of five. Why do you think, and obviously it's growth and it's a lot of other factors involved with that, but, you know, why do you think a company like Goldman Sachs just never seems to get the earnings love? Uh you know, I, I hear you joking about a Tesla and all these other guys, and I'm thinking maybe you should be talking to the guy from Barstool Sports and not me, because you know he's the expert on on, on those kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, I, no, the, on, on Goldman Sachs, the issue is, and and you know, I've got some good friends that are some of the top analysts in, in the banking industry that I've known back since my Credit Suisse days, pre-tech bubble, and uh, Goldman effectively is believed to be um, on its way to demise, uh, either to be bought or going out of business. They're not successfully engaging in the, the uh, switch over to the consumer banking franchise. Um, and and it's, it's basically a business that's sort of in a long-term decline. So nobody's really a big believer in, in, in sort of Goldman's ability to maintain the top uh, position on Wall Street. So even though they're making big money now, they don't think they're going to make this money in the future. That's what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. This investment banking and trading revenue, it's, you know, that stuff is just slowly being weaned out of the market. It's, we have more transparency more democracy sort of in, in terms of fairness with respect to the way folks can trade. I mean, what, what the folks at Robin hood and the barstool sports kind of guys are doing is, you know, they're, they're taking away a lot of these trader margin stuff. Now, in the meantime, it's great because we know that the Robin hood and these other firms sell off the order flow to the folks at Goldman Sachs. And that's why they're making tons of money now, but even that's a short term game because that, that activity becomes a crowded trade as well. Uh, even if you assume that Robin Hood and these other guys can kind of rip off their clients in the way they are forever, which I don't think they will. But that's, that's kind of what the, the Goldman's and the big traders are living off of these days is, you know, sort of uh, unique and um, I would say almost unfair access to market data, right? Like if you could see the order flow for the, you know, huge chunks of the market every day before the market opens, right? There's 200,000 buy orders to 100,000 sell orders for Apple. You're going to take that take that information all day long and put in a buy order in front of it, and you know that's just a it's a license to print money. Uh, it's technically I think it's technically illegal, uh, but the SEC sidesteps the issue and says, well, it's not traditional front running because when we wrote that rule, there were not electronic trading rules. It's like oh, okay, uh, so um, yeah, that's that's kind of a lot of what the traditional investment banking business is, is about. Uh, 
and in trading business businesses are about and that's why the companies you've seen that have done better have been the banks of america bank of america city groups jp morgans which are really successfully transitioning away from traditional investment banking and trading to more consumer oriented businesses just one thing on goldman it seems to me that you know that i've they get a little bit more into the consumer business. I thought, you know, I've heard credit cards. Aren't they doing a credit card with Apple? And I think I've heard more about some traditional loans through there. So I don't think they're they're totally ignoring that. It's maybe not a primary part of their business, but I I do remember, you know, hearing things about that. So whether or not that, you know, it's just something they're doing is experimental or not, but um, great information though, David, we really appreciate it. Yeah. I just want to ask you one more more thing, David. Uh, I don't want to let you go without asking you about Dropbox. Uh, You had this uh, report, uh, not a a bullish report uh, about Dropbox. And I want to ask you about it specifically because if I don't own the stock, but if I did, did, I'd be very concerned that it has not participated with this like work from home trade. It is, you could call it like a work from home productivity type of business, but it's not like, you know, DocuSign and uh, Atlassian and RingCentral, all these other work from home plays have, have benefited hugely from the, this COVID crisis. Dropbox has not. I just want to ask you briefly about Dropbox and, and why you're bearish. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, We've, we've written a, sort of a series of reports on, on stocks that, that uh, we call the see through the dip winners, which we think have been to beat down and are going to do really well. On the other side, we've read a bunch of reports that, where we've said, listen, fiduciaries can't be in these stocks. Uh, assuming that if you're a fiduciary, you, you have to have some respect for the fundamentals. Again, not 100%, but not zero. And, and Dropbox is in a situation where, you know, we uh, – you see an extremely high valuation and, and more importantly, the competitive position, right? I mean, they're up against Google, Apple, Microsoft that can basically give away their service for free, right? G drive um, and your iCloud, right? I mean, there are these, you know, Google, you know, and, and workflows and Microsoft, um, Google, Microsoft and Apple, they're so embedded in what you're doing, whether it's on your phone or on your desktop that, uh, it's very difficult for Dropbox to take market share from products that deeply embedded. Even worse, it's very difficult for them to take market share from products that can be given away for free or much cheaper. And so we think Dropbox is in a really tough spot there with respect to its competitive position. I mean, you look at the, the total users, you know, Google's got 2 billion, Apple's got 1.5 billion, Microsoft 200 million on their Office 365, right? Amazon's got 150 paying, mayor, paying members. Dropbox has got 15 million, sorry, prime members, 150 million, right? So, um, and, and the stock price implies that they're, they're going to grow their business faster than both Netflix and iPhone grew during their 10 best years. So it's, um, it's a real disconnect between the competitive position of the business, its current profits, and what the market expects it to do. Uh, Specifically, the stock is, is priced to reach 44 million paying users, um, you know, or be about a third as big as Amazon Prime. And we just think that that's a really, really, really high level of expectations to be banked into the stock price, considering the fact that they're up against competitors that can give away their product for free and yep. not miss a beat. All right, David Trainer, as I mentioned, he's the founder and CEO of New Constructs, looking deep into the footnotes, into the weeds of these earnings reports, a great resource for us. David, thank you so much for the time today. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, 
we got five minutes left uh, before I'm going to bring on our second guest. So let's get to some tickers uh, from the chat. And uh, I regret to inform you, I've not been writing these down today. But actually, you know what? Here's one. Uh, this is not about a ticker, but this is a great question from Go for the W in the pre-market prep chat here. Um, he, his, his question was, what do you do? And this is a question for you know, all of us, really, but, uh, or anyone in the chat as well. What do you do when friends ask you for advice friends know that you do stocks or whatever they think you do what do you guys do when friends like ask you for that advice do you like engage them or not really depends how close the friend is <laughs> I, I don't know what do you do joel i don't have any friends joel doesn't have any friends <laughs> Question. all right fine uh, you know i get it all the time like yeah. you know and obviously you get it i i get it from people i don't know like people reaching out i probably get anywhere from 10 to 20 people somehow reaching out to me via Twitter, via somebody's got my email, via, you know, tax a day. I'm not joking. Like 10 to 20 a day. What do you think of the stock? What do you like? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Um, you know, and it might even be higher than that because I can't engage them all. Um, I do try to engage most of them, like as I know everybody, and I try to, you know, if I've got a quick thoughts, I just say it's just my opinion because we don't give investment advice. You know, I'm not a licensed investment advisor. I just say, you know, I like it or I don't like it. You know, I, we know I own so many stocks. So in some cases like Neo, I say, I own it. So you kind of know what I, I think about it. If I own it, I probably like it. So um, I, I, I engage, but again, you know, obviously we don't give investment advice. So we're just giving opinions. I mean, there's so many things that go in that, you know, how old are they? You know, um, you know, what's that their time? Yeah. yeah what, that's why we're not investment advisors. Though, yeah. So. Why, what's their time horizon? Right. Is this money that they, you know, disposable income or money that they're, you know, thinking of using for their kids college education. So, I mean, it's just such a broad question that, you know, um, you know, just, I just try and tell people just, you know, just hold on, you know, <laughs> you know, the market just goes up, right. That's all it does. And during these times where it goes down and I'll say, if, well, do you need the money? Is your kid going to school? Is there, do you want to buy a new car? Do you want to buy a new house? Just kind of simple things like that. All right, let's do some stocks here from the chat. Uh, let's do, look, it's like a work here. Slack, it's been a week. Oh, yeah. so wrong on this. Mitch was all over this. He was right, it's straight up. Now it's so, now if you're buying it now, I mean, you're coming in a huge 34. Does it have room to 34? Yeah, for sure. Well, not, nothing's for sure, but it has room to 34. But it's up from 24, you know, disappointing earnings, wow. and they've shrugged that off. Why? Because it's got the story. So Mitch, correct, you know, intact story. I lost a lunch to him on it because when it gapped down that day, I thought the story had broken. The story was not broken. The story has gotten hot again. It's obviously probably due to the COVID spikes and people still thinking, oh, you know, we need work because people aren't going back to work. So COVID, it's a, it's a stay-at-home play that does have a story. Um, so probably I would be a buyer of dips, but I'm not chasing up here. It's just ran too far now. I've missed it. Uh, look for that gap fill. Really interesting. Uh, 3264 to 30, uh, 3307. So you're kind of returning to the scene of the crime there. Uh, so I look at that, the close on the day before uh, it got whacked on the third. Uh, that close was 3365. So that whole area, thirty anything over 33, I think you'll see some people getting their money back before earnings. Uh, a couple of dogs barking this morning as well. GameStop is up. Bed Bath & Beyond is up. So we've seen these before. You know, headline, no headline. You know, 
keep an eye on the long-term trend here. Which... They, they get going in one direction. The story gets hot, and this is just carrying stocks, the story. And they now all of a sudden, everybody thinks Bed Bath & Beyond is an online retailer. I mean, doesn't make sense, not to me, uh, but RH didn't make sense for a long time, and I've been proven wrong on that all the way up. So I don't know when this Bed Bath story ends. I'm not even sure it's going to end badly anymore. I've always said it's going to end badly, but it's hard because now everybody views it differently. They view it, all brands too. Everybody, they don't buy their lingerie online, I guess. They don't care that they got a bunch of retail mall stores that, you know, are in trouble. So they're viewing it differently. They're viewing Al Brands differently. Al Brands looks like it's consolidation to go higher. Bed Bath & Beyond is selling some stuff. So they're, hit, they're rallying it again. It started as a short squeeze and now it's just like FOMO. And I'm not buying it here. I don't, I don't like it at all, but I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to try to short a stock. That's going straight up. Uh, just uh, LB, I'm just, I'm still looking at this area, six highs in one in one place. So there's, there's your target. You got to get above. Look, I mentioned these before. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, six days in a row. You're high within twenty cents, surrounding thirty-three fifty. It's backed off. It's finding, you know, support. Broke down through thirty-two a little bit, but that's a big level. Someone working out of a really big piece there. So no more upside for LB until you get to that level. Uh, yeah, Hard to buy down a pullback. I, you know. Uh, just look at maybe, I mean, there's a couple lows at 32 here, uh, just under 32. Three lows in a row, 31.71, 31.80. If you're looking for a shorter term trade with not as much risk, uh, 32 with a, like a 31.50 stop. Hope it gets back up to 33. All right, two more stocks, one number. Too many numbers. Okay. One number. Two more stocks. Oh, two more stocks, uh, one number? Quick, quick, oh, quick, because I know we got to guess. One number for each stock, if that's what you meant. Uh, yep. okay. How about one number for both stocks? <laughs> That'd be impressive. <laughs> What about? Oh, I like that. Okay, um, I'm trying to find stocks that we don't talk about too often on this show that you know that are in the chat here. Uh, Infosys, INFY. Um, yeah. That earnings. Oh though. wow, yeah. earnings, isn't it? They had Didn't earnings, they have earnings. They had earnings this morning, and yeah, I don't know. it's ADR too. So two whammies. One has earnings. Two, it's ADR. It's already priced in. So it's already had the move because it's trading overseas. So I'm going to just nix that one. Yeah, I don't right. like that Fair one at all. <laughs> Let's go. We're getting a whole bunch of them now here. Let's go uh, Zscaler. Zscaler is one, and yeah. it's been running and running. The cloud stocks are back again. I would say you're running into the wall of resistance when you get up near 160. There's room to 160, though. Uh, let's see. Joel, you pick one and you do one number. We'll go back and forth. Pick a stock. Grab one of those from the chat. There's a whole bunch. Uh, Breakout over 155. Oh, man. Zscaler. All right, what, about, what about cake? Oh, you know what? I looked at this yesterday, and I was like, you know what? This is one reopening play that I kind of want to be long. And it pulled back yesterday, and I actually thought about buying it yesterday on the pullback. But I was like, what am I doing buying a restaurant in a, in a pandemic? So, you know, part of me just looks at it, and I was like, I have no exposure to any restaurant right now. And I've always liked the Cheesecake Factory. It was a stock that was actually doing okay. It wasn't doing fabulous, but it was okay before the financial crisis. You know, so I don't know. I, I've, I've kind of wanted to have it a couple of times. It, it, gave, it gave you a nice pullback. If you're looking at the reopening plays, you got um, a pullback yesterday. If you have a reopening play that you want to buy, there's some pullback. There is some stocks that are on pullbacks here right now. So if you were looking to get long cake, now is the time to strike. I just don't know if I can stomach cake. 
29. Pun intended. These dogs, it, it's uh, chained up on and out of that. Uh, I like I like to support a 29. Closer you get it to 29, the better. Give yourself a, you know, a 28.50. But uh, good support to 29 for cake. All right. The more likes and subscribes we get, uh, the more tickets. Portions are too big, too. You know that at God, Cheesecake yeah. Factory. Uh, yeah, so the more likes we get, the more tickers we'll do. So hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. I do want to bring on our final guest of the day, Joel and Dennis. are going to uh, hop off. Hey, guys, have a good day. We'll see you at 3.40. But I will be on now here with Paul Rosen. He is the CEO of 1933 Industries. Joining me now, let me see if I can get his video and his, uh, and his microphone going here. There we go. Paul, good morning. Yeah, microphone, just like that. Just like that. How are we doing this morning? Good, Spencer. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So you're going to be at uh, our next virtual cannabis capital conference, which is tomorrow, uh, and you're going to be presenting. That's right? Yeah, I'm on a panel in the afternoon. Correct. Right. And, and what's that? What, tell us about the panel. Panel's really exploring sort of, I guess, new trends in cannabis, uh, sort of new form factors, sort of uh, what products, uh, what product categories are popular with consumers and patients right now, and really leading forward what products are anticipated to start gathering up market share. It's really going to be sort of a wide ranging discussion about uh, the type of categories and the type of products that are starting to show demand as the yeah. industry evolves. Yeah, you've got a lot of different products. I'm curious, uh, you know, from your point of view, which, which products are, are, are the most important right now? The ones that sell the most at the highest margin. Right. <laughs> which are? <laughs> no, I know that's a little bit of a, a reductive answer, right. but, but there's some truth to that, actually, in that, you know, we are, we are in the business of earning a profit. And we have to look carefully at all of our sort of skews and try to figure out where does that profit best reside. Given that, like every other supplier, we have a limited capacity. We want to make sure that we aim our capacity uh, and sort of upstream it into products that have not only the most demand, but also have a good margin structure. With that being said, the product that continues to sort of dazzle is high premium THC flour in the cannabis industry. Okay. Sort of like that old, you know, this sort of like uh, sort of product category that I think people thought maybe would erode in market share as more new consumers came into the market. Maybe they're not familiar with smoking, but the uh, sort of irrepressibility of the demand for a high THC premium flour seems to be almost inexhaustible. Uh, certainly for 1933, that's our premium offering. Our number one category is our high uh, THC, indoor-grown premium craft flour. Beyond that, we find concentrates continue to have a great deal of demand. We might call those vape pens or various other form factors. And then, you know, certainly myself as an entrepreneur in this industry, I have a lot of belief in the future of uh, food or what we'll call edibles, beverages. And I think that for a lot of new consumers that don't want to smoke or vape, that's going to be their entry point into the cannabis industry. That's so interesting because all we've heard for the, for the past couple of years is, oh, there's just too much weed out there. It's so easy <laughs> to grow and there's just too much supply. So, and you're kind of saying, well, maybe that's true, but it's still your most important product. That's I mean, Spencer, you really have to look at each jurisdiction. You know, you, in America, you have 33 micro economies right. and because yeah. you can't transfer product from, say, California to, say, Arizona you have sort of anomalies at a regional level, supply and demand. So no doubt to your point, Spencer, there are markets that have had an oversupply of flour, but not all flour is created equal. And what we continue to find is the sort of the, 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 the rare 
26-27% THC content and up still seems to be in short supply everywhere, uh, even if there may be a surplus, sort of a bumper crop of, you know, what we'll call mid-range flower. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, do you have any expectations for uh, for next year in terms of changes to the, the regulatory? Yeah. I think we all do. I think we're all anticipating that sometime, you know, following the next election in three weeks, basically, and uh, say 2022, the next midterms. And a lot of this is going to depend upon who controls the Senate. The Senate is sort of the gatekeeper for all progressive uh, cannabis reform legislation that's on the initiative. So the House, under the Democrats, have certainly lifted a number of bills, the SAFE Act, sometimes called the Banking Act, the MORE Act, sometimes referred to as just descheduling cannabis. But if we have, uh, say, a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House, then I think there's going to be almost an irrevocable momentum towards a number of significant policy reforms, all of which are going to ultimately lead to a harmonization between federal law, where it's still legal, and state law, where you're now going to have, after the next election, up to over 35 states with some form of a program. So I think, Spencer, the consensus in the industry is this is inevitable, and this is going to foment a really aggressive bull market in U.S. cannabis stocks because there's so much money on the sidelines that wants to come in, can't wait to come in, but under current sort of uh, legal conditions are unable to come in. And the moment you sort of clear that path, I think there's just gonna be a tremendous amount of new capital. New capital chasing assets always tend to inflate the value of those assets. And we, we saw that in, in Canada, right? And the, those first cannabis operators in Canada are sort of paying the price for that euphoria from 2016, 2017, because they were the only game in town and they're not the only game in town anymore, uh, or at least they won't be whenever we get the federal legalization in the U.S. Uh, are there any downsides to that, though? Like, are there any, you know, every market, every state in the U.S. is its own market. Are there any downsides to federal legalization in terms of what it could do to those individual markets? Yeah, I mean, you know, that law of unintended consequences is profound. So, some, you know, not all paths towards harmonization are exactly the same. The most sort of simple way to look at this is right now cannabis is a schedule one narcotic which means that it is shown to have no medical benefit and causes great public harm uh, the hope is that we're going to just deschedule cannabis take it right off and turn it into you know essentially a regulated but a descheduled product but if on the other hand in the wisdom of the executive or congressional branch they were to reschedule cannabis and say drop it down to schedule two that could cause all sorts of unexpected harm or distress or disruption because now you're going to bring in the Food and Drug Administration, which is currently not in the room. And if they gets descheduled to a reschedule to schedule two, that invites the FDA. And the FDA has very high standards as to what uh, facilities must look like, what sanitation procedures must be. And it's quite likely that a number of compliant operators are not going to meet FDA approval should it be rescheduled to a schedule two. And it's conceivable even that suppliers that have a good um, sort of footprint in a market may temporarily need to cease operations in order to bring their facilities up to code, up to FDA code. Now, I'll say that I think that's remote, but it's definitely not an impossibility. And for the forces that are aligned against cannabis reform, that would really be their sort of kill shot, would be to get it to be 
uh, rescheduled rather than descheduled. Another opportunity could be that if you have federal legalization and you erode those barriers between one state and another, it may mean that your cultivation asset in a state like, I don't know, Minnesota may not be quite as valuable now that your customers could have the option of buying sun-grown California flower. So there's all sorts of potential disruption. At a macro level, Spencer, it's going to ferment a great increase in the, the size, the value, the acceptability, and the capital coming into the market. But at a micro level, there definitely could be some winners and losers on the other side of some type of harmonization. Yeah, it seems to be the consensus, and it's an, it's an obvious one that federal legalization will be would be almost taking the handcuffs off of this industry. Uh, Paul Rosen is the CEO of 1933 Industries. As I mentioned, he'll be speaking on a panel uh, at our Cannabis Capital Conference tomorrow at 4.15, the next generation in cannabis products. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for the time today. Always a pleasure, Spencer. Right. Best wishes into the rest of your day. Bye, everybody. See you tomorrow. All right, that'll be a wrap for us. I'll put the link to the event uh, in our chat. You can also go to BenzingaEvents.com to learn more. The link is also in the description of our videos on YouTube and on our podcast. The podcast is on every major podcast platform. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. I'll be back with you at 3.40 p.m. Eastern time with Joel. Until then, everyone have a good rest of your day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.